This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. there and welcome to episode 150 of the Love It Album podcast. We're proudly part of the Pantheon Network of Music Discussion Podcast. So glad you could download the show, so glad you could join us. Episode 150, course for celebration? Eh, look, we just did the 10-year thing, so I'm not going to be too self-indulgent. However, for episode 150, I still do have something very, very special. Of course, you've gone and read the liner notes for the show, so you already know who's on. But I'm going to say it anyway. Steve Berlin of Los Lobos, not the first time that he's been on the show. Go back through the archives. He's been on quite a few shows before. Uh, he even appeared on an episode of See Here. And there's an interview that I did with him maybe 20 years ago while I was doing a summer shift at 3 R here in Melbourne. So we've spoken about five times over the last 20-odd years or so, and that's pretty special to me to just be able to call up and speak to a member of my favorite band on the planet. That's very, very cool. Anyway, the reason why I got in touch with Steve this time around is because Los Lobos have just gone and released, I don't know what album it is, number 127 or something like that. They've gone and released a lot of albums. And this new one is called Native Sons. It's Los Lobos doing tribute to all Los Angeles bands. And given that they're the classic band from East LA who've done everything from traditional Mexican music to rock and roll to all sorts of experimental stuff in the 90s, it just made complete sense that they would do their tribute to the bands that they grew up loving and listening to. One thing I do need to mention is that I made a little bit of a boo-boo in the setup of my microphone for this episode. So in fact, you don't hear me talking in the interview through this lovely banking brand new AKG microphone, but you get to hear me recorded through the microphone on the laptop. It's not unlistenable. It sounds perfectly fine, but it's not as sexy as the sound that you're hearing right now, of course. So without further ado, we'll go take a little bit of a break and then I'll be back with my discussion with Steve. Very, very excited in case you couldn't tell. And after that discussion, I'll come back at the end of the show to talk about what's going to happen with Love That Album, episode 151. I got a dusty old pile of vinyl records sitting on my floor. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can find previous episodes at lovethatalbumpodcast.blogspot.com Com, or you can get it along with any of the other great music discussion shows at rockandrollarchaeology.com, all part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. To keep up to date, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. You can email Morris with feedback or album suggestions at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music-related discussion. All around 
Welcome back to episode 150 of Love That Album. And not for the first time, I am thrilled to welcome back to the show a member of my favorite band on the planet, Steve Berlin of Los Lobos. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Thank you, man. Nice to be back. We've spoken quite a few times over the last 20 years. I think I was doing public radio the first time we spoke and a few times over the course of the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Congratulations to you and the rest of Los Lobos for the wonderful new album, Native Sons. For those who haven't heard about it yet, it's a tribute to uh, other musicians from Los Angeles, covering the likes of uh, Percy Mayfield and Jackson Brown, and even your old band, The Blasters. It's not the first time that you guys have done a covers-related record. If you want to consider Le Pistolati Corazon, uh, Los Lobos Goes Disney, Lego Navidad from a couple of years ago, and Ride This, the EP complement to uh, The Ride. And you've always done covers within your set. So my first question to you is, why did it take this long to do an album that almost seems like it writes itself? It's so obvious to do a tribute to uh, Los Angeles. Well, you know, we had to come up with the idea, I guess. You know, we were sort of in a place where we needed to make a record and we didn't have time to, like, traditional like time to. In other words, we had to do it in and around what we thought was going to be our busy 2020 touring schedule. So we, we started, uh, actually, someone reminded me today, we started in January 2020, thinking that, you know, we would do it in little bits and pieces across 2020 and get it out, I guess, now. But then the virus had other ideas. It wasn't about touring. It was about trying to do it safely and dealing with the virus stuff and lockdown. And I don't live in Los Angeles anymore, so I had to deal with travel restrictions and literally just trying to take care, you know, not die in service of this record. So in and around that, I mean, I guess long-winded answer to your question, you know, we, we thought if we did a record of covers, we could do it in bits and pieces. We didn't have to dedicate the normal six to eight weeks that we would generally do for a, a non-covers record. And then it turned out to be a good idea because it was the perfect setup for working under lockdown as well. So it all kind of worked out in a weird way. I know that things are different from country to country, but how did those restrictions actually affect the band? I mean, obviously, as you say, there was no touring, there was no live performance. But what were the restrictions that were in place that allowed you to actually even record to be in the same room together with the restrictions around that? Well, the city of LA was locked down. Like it was like no non-essential travel for a good bit because the, the cases were skyrocketing there. So that was one thing, you know, we had to, you know, not work while that was happening. It just wasn't safe to be in the city full stop. But once that lessened, it really just became a matter of our own safety. So we, uh, the studio that we made our home base and it's in actually in East LA, right by where the guys grew up. It's a really big room. So it wasn't hard to, to maintain six feet plus to their, credit and to my happiness everybody followed the rules you know everybody wore masks uh, we had a nurse come and test us before every session which was uh, also reassuring so we did everything we could to protect ourselves we didn't actually bubble but we more or less had an effective bubble like you know none of us were doing I mean there wasn't anything to do or anywhere to go anyway it wasn't like you know we were going to bars at night so but we just agreed to limit our outside access while we were working on the record and we got through it I'll come back to Native Sons in a bit but in 2019 you guys also did the one Christmas album that I own, Lego Navidad. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly. Lego Navidad. Lego uh, Navidad. This album is a covers album, or mostly apart from, I think, one or two originals, but it had you pick your favorite tunes that qualified for the theme. Christmas Time in Texas, which you know, had the Tex-Mex feeling. Donde es the Santa Claus, which had the strong Latin feel. Christmas and You, which had your 50s rock and roll thing. And La Rama, which had the Son Parojo. 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 Uh, Llegó Navidad, vamos a gozar, vamos a divertirnos con tranquilidad. What was the impetus behind recording a Christmas album? I mean, as the liner notes say, that is an album that works any time of the year, and I've played it a lot. It's so much fun. Well, it was uh, something we had talked about doing forever, going back to like Pistola for like 30 years, 40 years. We've been saying, hey, we really need to do a Christmas. We really need to do a Christmas record. You know, just the way we are, like nothing ever happens unless somebody, you know, like we're, we're not big entrepreneurs, you know, like generally somebody has to come to us with an idea or a funding source for us to actually get the ball rolling. So in this case, it was uh, Rhino Records that approached us and said, you know, 
hey, would you guys do it? And the theme of it was a Latin Christmas record, but basically just very broad heading. Like we could do anything we wanted to do under that heading. Interestingly enough, when they approached us for it, uh, it was June of what, 2019, I guess. And the thought was that we would do it leisurely and get it out for 2020. But they said almost in passing, you know, hey, if you guys can get this done by July 15th, we can get it out this year. And we just said, well, let's give it a shot. We'll see what we can do. And we, we you know, very, very not in our character. We pulled it together in like, sheesh, three weeks, you know, from almost beginning to end. That's not how we normally do stuff. But everybody got into it and uh, the songs just kind of flowed. We, you know, we had a lot of good collaborators. We reached out to a lot of people and tried to get some ideas for songs. And we had some really great, great suggestions and it came together relatively quickly. I was really happy how it all worked out and it was a lot of fun to do. One of the things that we learned on that and then we applied to Native Sons was if, if there's like a theme, if there's something that we could use to focus our energy, it's very helpful because if it's all over the place, it's generally all over the place. So if we know it's a thing, like it's a Christmas record or it's a record about LA, it tends to keep the noise down a little bit. I guess the same thing would apply for Native Sons as well as for the Christmas album but a lot of these songs with Native Sons would be in the band's DNA. I'm presuming as well that a lot of the songs would be a strong part of what the band grew up with. Did you have like a short list of a hundred songs or something like that? How, how do you whittle down an album like that? On the Christmas record? Are you, are you yeah, yeah, well either way. Yeah, we'll start with the Christmas record. Well, the Christmas record, no, it really wasn't. I mean, it's like you know, it, the, the notion of it was very vague to be honest with you and it wasn't like we had this you know running list of, of ideas. We actually had to do a little research and, you know, as I mentioned, like we reached out to a lot of friends and, you know, it turns out that for whatever reason, I, I, I didn't know this, but like there's this ridiculously large collection of salsa Christmas records. Like every salsa artist has at least two. Eddie Palmieri has like four just to himself. It's just for whatever reason, Puerto Ricans really love Christmas, I guess. <laughs> so there was a ton of salsa stuff, but, you know, we're not really salsa players. The one that we did do, we, we had to adapt uh, La Murga, which, you know, was initially a salsa song. Vamos a bailar la murga. La burga de Panamá, los muchachos se alborotan cuando la ven caminar. Eh, vamos a bailar la murga, la murga de Panamá. Esa es una cosa fácil y muy buena para bailar. Vamos a bailar. Native Sons was stuff that those songs actually were definitely like the Buffalo Springfield. Everybody that's represented on, on Native Sons is most definitely a part of our DNA. And I would I would say, conversely, on the Christmas record, it was just like trying to put together something that sounded fun. And we didn't try to go different places and, and do different things. And we didn't want it to have like any, none of the songs we wanted to have the same sound. We kind of wanted to touch on a lot of different stuff. So as you noted, you know, there's a Tex-Mex song, there's a Salsa song, there's a, a Rocha song, there's one that sounds, you know, like all the, everything you highlighted is exactly what we tried to do with it. I remember Christmas party records like you put them on and they were like you know like instant soundtrack to your Christmas party that was more or less the idea and quite similarly the, the Native Sons record is more or less a, a party record as well like you put it on and while you're having your afternoon beers or whatever so that's kind of where we're at these days I guess so more specifically with Native Sons which you've already gone and said yeah is definitely a part of your DNA it's these are songs that all you guys grew up with and some very well known and a few songs which I'd never heard before uh, and I want to actually sort of go through a few of the songs just to ask a little bit about them and how you came to pick them and uh, your history with them. There's a huge history. Los Angeles, one of the great music towns. And how is it that you limit yourself? How do you say, oh, well, we can't do any songs by Love or The Birds or Captain Beefheart or Ry Cuda? How do you keep songs by those artists off? In some cases, we tried. Uh, like, we tried to come up with a love song, but it was too hard and too weird. I wouldn't say that it was low-hanging fruit, but it had to be something that we, we could kind of get our heads around with relative ease. There's no simple, easy love song, just like there's no simple, easy Captain Beefheart song. So some of them were effectively crossed off the list before we got into it. And I think it was just sort of the nature of the thing, like once, you know, like just doing it under COVID, like everybody was so stressed out just to be there. We, we kind of didn't want to have to put that pressure on ourselves to try and deliver something that was going to be like a long reach for us. So in many cases, it was stuff that we, you know, like we could assimilate relatively easily, like easily and kind of get into the magic of the song and not 
have to worry about the execution of it. I guess that's just where we're at right now. We kind of employed the same methodology as the Christmas record where we had a big list and it was uh, subdivided by genre. So there was like soul, punk rock, uh, R&B, rock, singer-songwriter. But I would say that those lists were more like guides than like a menu, like a Chinese restaurant menu. We weren't just like picking a song. Like It was more like, oh, that song reminds me of this song. And then we would end up doing the song that came up. Like the we were listening to some other song and then the Jaguar song popped into Dave's head and we, we found that and, and cut it in like, you know, 10 minutes. So it was really just sort of more inspirational and aspirational than a specific guide. But I think, uh, you know, basically everybody brought in at least one song that they wanted to do. Conrad was a big Beach Boys fan, so he brought Sailor. Louis was a big Jackson Brown fan, so he brought the Jackson Brown song. I brought the Percy Mayfield song. Dave wanted to do uh, Buffalo Springfield. And then like, uh, and I guess Caesar was the Alice, the, the Midnighter song. You know, kind of once we got that down, then we, you know, we knew that we were going to do, so there were four people that we knew we had to cover. Like we'd never done a war song, so we had to do a war song. We had to do a blaster song just because they were so key to our success. Lala Guerrero, very similar, you know, like a big inspiration and someone who we, we looked up to forever. So we knew we were going to do a Lala song and who am I leaving out? And the Midnighters. So if you have a Venn diagram of the songs that everybody wanted to do and then the songs that I, I'll say obligated, but it was not not in any way, you know, it was something we wanted to, you know, the subtext of the record is it's kind of a thank you to these people as well. So we wanted to thank War and thank the Midnighters and thank the Blasters for being our inspirations and our heroes. So that's eight right there. And then, every, you know, then the rest of it was just kind of stuff that seemed cool, like seemed fun to do, like Farmer John seemed fun to do. You know, some of them were just like, hey, let's try it. Let's see what it was. Let's see where we, how far we can get. Then the song showed up. I'm going to probe you about some of the songs specifically. A, a couple you've already gone and mentioned by name, but let's go through. I just want to sort to find out a little bit more about your thinking towards some of these songs. So the first one I want to ask about, you've already mentioned, is uh, Love Special Delivery by The Midnighted. And it was a really great, hard-grooving soul song. Now, did I get this right? Was the, the drummer Aaron Ballesteros, who you used on the session, was he an original member of the Midnighters? He was not an original member, but he, he, he became a member um, later on. And then the singer, uh, Willie G., He's also on on the war song. He sings on uh, "World Was a Ghetto." He also was on our uh, 30th anniversary record. Right. Uh, the record. So you know he's always been a part of our lives, like a, a big inspiration. Like when the guys were growing up, they said that the Midnighters were like the Beatles to them. Like they were the, the the first guys from the literal neighborhood, like from the streets that they all grew up in, that made it big. Even though obviously you know they weren't the Beatles, they didn't really make it that big. But they were big in L.A. and certainly big in East L.A. And it was sort of like wow, the you know guys from the neighborhood could actually make it. It was a really big thing to the boys in the band growing up and then they became our friends like a lot of these people were our inspirations and now they're our buddies so you know we see Willie all the time uh, when Louie and I used to play golf we would play golf with him whenever I was in LA you know he's just a pal he's an incredible singer because I do remember him on the ride singing is this all there is the more fucked up version of that He's fantastic and a great guy, really wonderful, amazing human being. Yeah, and then as I mentioned, you know, that was you know we I'll use the word obligation. There's probably a better word, but we we owed them. We had to do a, a Midnighter song. We we had to say this is definitely a big part of the reason why we're us and why we're here is because the Midnighters kind of set the bar for us. Okay, so next song I want to just ask you a bit about, and I'm sure you've done this live a lot over the years. And I know that this was actually I think before you joined the band, they released this as a seven inch EP, but that's Farmer John by Don and Dewey. Mmm, Farmer John I'm in love with your daughter Oh, the one With the champagne eyes 
time I actually ever heard this song was via the uh, Neil Young Crazy Horse uh, right. cover of it, I think on Ragged Glory. And when I heard that originally, it was to me the way they did it purely a song of lust. And uh, <laughs> then I bought the Nuggets album and heard the premieres do it. And it's a lot more fun. And then your version sounds different yet again. What's your history with this song? Was, was this something that Lobos was still in their live set when you joined? Yeah, it was always in the live set. I mean, it was not one we do a, a hell of a lot, but it, it's, it, it, you know, it was always there. It's a lot of fun to play. I guess our version is, is some weird combination of the premieres and Don and Dewey. And, we, you know, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it because Don and Dewey was also a huge influence. Their music was big on, for us. So it was like we were looking for a Don and Dewey song. And then like, what about Farmer John? Like, yeah, we kind of killed three birds with one stone although that's not the way we, we really thought about it, it was more like, yeah, let's uh you know it was just fun to do you know just a, a cool song and and you know we enjoyed playing it and as i mentioned like early on that was one of the ones we did early like there was some stuff that we just sort of had to prove the concept to ourselves it was going to be okay so and also just getting back in the studio after lockdown we did farmer john more or less as a warm-up then it was like hey that that sounds pretty good let's let's just keep it but yeah that's been around uh i i have first night that i met the guys they handed me that same seven inch it was farmer john on one side and i think anselma on the other side it was clear vinyl with a yellow label and now it's wow worth like, do you still have a copy of that yeah i do yeah i, I kept all that shit so <laughs> yeah, like a thousand dollars now if you're in the collector's market for the oh no but it, oh, it, it couldn't buy out your heart this is part of your uh, history no no that's not, i'm not selling that <laughs> <laughs> certainly another band that was definitely obvious for you to include was your previous band the blasters flat top joint down at the end of the freeway just behind some laundromat there's a real gone little night spot just for real gone cats called the flat top joint now, you guys have previously covered, I think, Marie Marie. We have covered Marie Marie. We said, uh, you know, we more or less wanted to do stuff that we hadn't done. Like, we wanted to pick stuff that we hadn't ever tried before, that, you know, a little bit off the path. So that was, again, early stages of the record. We were kind of testing everything and, you know, just making sure we could pull the stuff off. We more or less did that one from memory. We didn't even bother to listen to the original. We just kind of, like, went hard at it, and, and it came together very quickly. Were you in the Blasters at the time that that song was originally recorded? Were you part of that lineup? So that was the first first record and I joined uh, in the making during the recording of the second record so I, I should a little bit after that one was done it's the second song that Dave Alvin ever wrote interestingly wow. enough. yeah I know right a few years ago Dave and Phil were touring here as part of Byron Bay Blues Fest and they did a sideshow here in Melbourne I'm pretty sure that that's not one that they did but even like four or five years ago whenever it was that they were here still hugely exciting them with their own band it was just amazing I actually saw the first show of that tour I just happened to be in LA and uh, yeah it's it was fun to hear the songs in not and nothing against the rest of the guys and the blasters of course because I, I love them dearly but it was kind of neat hearing the songs i guess it wouldn't really say stripped down but like repurposed reformatted i don't know i really enjoyed that show i didn't know they, they came to australia that's great my podcasting partner on my other show tim he was living in korea at the time huge huge blasters fan and i said to him oh i'm going to see dave and phil and he said ah oh, fuck you uh, <laughs> Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, no, he really did. I think it was very recently, or maybe you got coming up, I don't know, but Lobos and X and the Blasters, you did a gig together. I mean, that the gig from heaven, how did that come about? You know, it was booked a long time ago. It's like a big summer outdoor thing in LA. So um, it was booked, I think, for last summer. Obviously, that didn't happen. So uh, yeah, it happened at the end of July. And what made it extra interesting was just prior to that show, David Hidalgo, our guitar player, was in a minor car accident, but it fractured his hand. So he couldn't play guitar or it wasn't up to his usual. Like it was when by the time of that show, he could play a little bit, but he wasn't all there. So we actually had Dave Alvin come and play with us. 
Oh man. And he also sat in with the blasters, which, you know, I don't, as you know, he hasn't been part of the blasters for like what, 30 years now. So it was a big night all around for everybody. It was really, really special. I got to play with the blasters again. That was fucking great. Just hearing and and seeing Dave and Phil together and smiling and happy. And both of them have been through a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of shit last year and a half, two years. So it was just it was very gratifying to see them together and, and happy. Another song from the album, which was, I think, the first one that you released to the world before the album came out, and you've already gone and mentioned Sail on Sailor by the Beach Boys. Caught like a sewer rat alone, but I sin. Bought like a crust of bread, but oh, do I win. Tell them stumble, never crumble, try to tumble, life's a rumble. The stinging I've been given, never ending, unrelenting. The big surprise to me was that Lobos would be doing a Beach Boys song. It, it just, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm a huge Beach Boys nut, and it wasn't like, oh, why would they do that? It was just more, it didn't seem to be within the wheelhouse of... Uh, yeah, all the more reason to do it, right? I mean, just sort of surprise people. And, you know, it's funny, I mean, it really, be, that was there because Conrad was going to kick our ass if we didn't. He was <laughs> he was adamant that we do. He, he really went, like, he's a big love fan. So, we, you know, as I mentioned, we tried to think of a love song. None of those, we couldn't, it wasn't even close. There was nothing even vaguely doable in the love catalog. So he was like, all right, well, then we're doing a Beach Boys song. We're like, oh shit, are we gonna do a Beach Boys song? <laughs> so, and I think it was his suggestion that we do Sail on Sailor, which is probably the, the one Beach Boys song that I think we actually could have pulled off. But that said, we cut it not in the first group, but it was like one of the ones relatively early on. And it took a while for us to finish it just because we were sort of intimidated by it, I have to say. Like, like okay, what do we, how do we do this? Like, how do we make it sound like us? and still everything else we've done we felt like we had command of but I, I have to say I, I don't think we felt like we really had command of that song until we hired uh, a keyboardist to, like I'm really really terrible keyboard player so I can ex execute a few things but I'm not like I would never hire me to play keyboard on anything other anything that I did you know practice and you know I just learned the parts so we hired a guy who I had worked with many years ago his name is Phil Parlapiano and he is really, really gifted and really smart. And he was like, you know, and I said to him, like, you know, we, we did the song and, you know, we don't know if we got it, if we don't, like, it just doesn't feel right, but we don't know what the problem is. And he was like, okay, well, let me listen to it. And he pointed out that it, a lot of why it didn't sound right was one of Brian Wilson's geniuses was the way that he would voice and structure his chords. Because he was a big fan of, I know he's a fan of the Four Freshmen and like sort of 50s era jazz, which was not really bebop, but a lot of it had to do with chord extensions and putting non-traditional bass notes in chords. He pointed out that that's why it didn't feel or sound right, is that we didn't, we weren't playing the chords the right way. Like the chords, it didn't have any richness. So once he pointed that out to us, we're like, oh yeah, there we go. That sounds like, the, yeah, those are that's how it's supposed to sound. So that he kind of unlocked the door. Then it would just became fun. Then then we it was easy to finish. But until that point, I don't know. It may or may not have made the record had Phil not pointed out that we were playing it all wrong. And then your ass would have gotten kicked by Conrad. Uh, yeah, then we would have had to be, endure a beating. So um, <laughs> it, 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 uh, it worked out though. We, uh, we heard that Brian approved, and uh, we actually oh, played wow. with uh, with the Al Jardine came and sat in with us and, and played it with us. So. Um, man. You guys had played before with Blondie Chaplin though, right? Yeah, we played with Blondie which also made the doing that song a lot easy because he is a, he is a pal, a good friend so that made it a little bit easier to sell but it would have been really embarrassing if he knew that we, we tried it and didn't do it so all the more reason to, to try <laughs> A few years ago, Brian and his band had been here like a number of times over the last 20 years. And I think the last time they came here was for the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds, but they brought Blondie Chaplin along with them oh, on nice. that show. And I just wasn't prepared. He strutted the stage like a rock star. He was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. So entertaining. <laughs> that is not surprising. He's fantastic. We, we just love him. He sat in with us and we did our own, another LA show um, in September. He, uh, he came and, and sat in with us, which was amazing. One more song I want to ask you about from the album. So years ago, you guys did a terrific children's album, which my son played over and over and over and over again, much to my wife's distress. Papa's Dream with Lalo Guerrero, who you've already 
gone and mentioned in this conversation. And right. he's a man who's been referred to as the father of Chicano music. I think one time when we spoke, you recommended to me to go check out an album called Pachuco Boogie featuring yeah. Lalo and Don Tosti, who's the jazz bassist and band leader in his own right. Tell me something about the selection of this particular Lalo song and the band's personal connection to Lalo even prior to recording Papa's Dream. When they say the father of Chicano music, you know, there's really like Chicano music is such a, I mean, there really isn't a Chicano music. I mean, it's the Midnighters, it's, there's not really a thing, but he was literally the first guy from that area, like from that really spoke to a Chicano, part Mexican, part American. It's like a different and relatively new culture, like, you know, like black culture and other the things that make up America, they're sort of been, you know, like they've been there and they've sort of developed and more of a, a cultural identity. Whereas even though the Chicano demographic is growing exponentially, there wasn't really anything by and large that you would call Chicano music until Lala showed up and was writing and making records that spoke specifically to this emerging community. And he was more or less the soundtrack to the Zoot Suiters. I don't know how much you know about the, the Zoot Suiters, but it was, you know, again, like sort of the, the subculture unique to LA. And and was a very acute political commentator. He wrote some pretty impactful political songs, and then he wrote some really silly songs. He's got songs like, you know, Marijuana Boogie, which, you know, <laughs> not getting high, but this is like 1957. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Cheech and Chong. I mean, writing a song on Marijuana Boogie would be like Heroin Boogie or something, you know, to a 1957. I guess the guys met him like early on, like when before I joined, when they were doing folkloric stuff, they met him and be you know became friends with him and his family. You know, his kids are part of our lives. They we do some stuff with them. So just sort of like a very um, elder statesman, you know, guy. You know, when we did the children's record, it was like kind of doing working with your favorite uncle. You know, just like this really, really warm, wonderful, funny, just wonderful human being to be around. So when we were putting this record together, we felt this. You know, we knew we were going to do it one way or another. We're going to have to do a, a, a tribute to Lalo. So those Chuka Suaves, I mean, we, we, you know, we're trying to find something we could really make our own. And I'll assume that you're familiar with the Rikuda version, which is a little, you know, a little nicer. Yes. There were, there were a couple other versions, but we decided to rock it up. I mean, I would say like our song Masi Mas was a direct, you know, like that was also a tribute to Lalo. I mean, that's wow. kind of like, wow. I that, didn't know that's that. where that song came from was his kind of like his thing. And you could sort of, you know, you listen to those two songs, like listen to Chuka Suave and Masi Mas, and you'll definitely get the connection. I mean, that's kind of his thing was that these cool riffs. Ry Kuda had him sing a song on his album of about 15, 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, Chavez Ravine, yeah. Yeah, Chavez Ravine, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm listening to that, the song and think, I know that singer, I know that voice, and, and uh, yeah, through you guys. But, um, There's a lot of connections there, yeah. Yeah, pretty powerful. Have, have you guys ever played live with Ry? Ah, uh, good question. I think, no. We invited him one time, and I remember I actually spoke to him. I don't really, I can't say I really know him, and he was, and he said to me, he goes, what time's the show? And I said, um, 9.30, and he goes, oh, sorry, man, I go to bed at 8. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, with a said, mic oh, of cocoa. Sure, I'll, I'll let you know the next time we do a matinee, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Not very rock and roll of you, but uh, <laughs> he's somewhat infamous for, you know, his recording sessions start at like 8.30. I mean, that wasn't a lie. Like he likes, he's a morning guy, period. So, you know, I remember talking to Jim Keltner, like, you know, we were doing something and he said, oh yeah, I got to get up early. I got to do a session with Ryan, idiot, you know, let's be there in the morning. I said, we got to, you know, we agreed 8.30 was okay, but Jesus Christ, like what a pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> Si lo sabes, que había dos hermanos Chávez, pugilistas que nacieron en mero Chávez Ravín. For the most part, the songs on Native Sons, uh, I mean, while still ingesting something of the Lobos flavor to these songs, but 
the arrangements, they're not always radically different from the originals. And was there a conscious decision to keep them faithful? Back to your um, your Los Lobos Goes Disney album. And the first track on there is your version of Hi Ho, which goes a million miles away from what anyone would expect. Was there ever any decision, maybe we should play around with this or we wanted to keep the tribute straight? Yeah, I think, I don't know, it was sort of somewhere in between, I guess. Like some songs we wanted to keep it really straight, like Bluebird, we wanted to get, we really tried to get the sound and the vibe and, you know, we, we tried to really capture like what we liked about that song. But, uh, you know, we tried to put our own spin on it, but I think, you know, arrangement wise, more or less, like we wanted to honor, like the Disney songs, we, we kind of wanted to, you know, explode. We wanted to, to kind of take them apart, put it back together again our way. But I think that these songs, mostly because they were inspirational for us, we didn't feel like, you know, the mission was to to take them, you know, to blow them up. You know, we, we kind of just wanted to put a, a subtle spin on it, I guess you could say, in most cases. I mean, we, you know, I think we took liberties with some of them. I think, you know, obviously the premiere song goes pretty far afield and the Lalo song we just spoke of goes somewhere else. Um, but by and large, you know, we, I think that we felt an obligation to not necessarily keep it the same, but at least be somewhat closer to the ballpark, you might say. I know this is going to be like a bit of a stretch of the memory because this is going back maybe, well, 20 years, well, no, not quite 20 years, but a little under 20 years. When you guys approach your 30th anniversary, you release the great album, The Ride. I just sort of want to cover a few other things now. But to celebrate your 30th anniversary, you guys did one of the really great collaboration albums. I don't know if there's another expression for it, but, you know, having, I mean, people like John Lee Hooker and Santana were doing that sort of thing as well getting guests and on the ride you had people like Richard Thompson and Mavis Staples Cafe Takuba my favourite cut on the album is you guys collaborating with Bobby Womack doing Across 110th Street I just introduced that to someone the other day who'd never heard it and that's Are your recollections of that album? Was it sort of like a thing, the band saying, yeah, this is a big thing, we should record a 30th anniversary album? Was it a record company thing? Well, it was kind of a dream, like just to be able to, like, you know, literally pick a name out of the air and say, well, let's get that guy in and record with him. I mean, like, give me a break. That was ridiculous. So it was just amazing. And, you know, that was back then we had the funding and the wherewithal and the, you know, the blessing of our label to actually go out and do it. So, we kind of thought about who the A-list would be and everybody that we wanted said yes with the exception of Keith Richards yeah. and, Peter, and Peter Green, who I think was about to sadly die. So it started with that and then we just thought about what what would be, you know, fun for them, fun for us. So obviously the Bobby Womack one, we took one of his songs, one of our songs. Richard Thompson, we wrote a song with. Dave Alvin, we wrote a song with. Mavis did one of ours. The funniest one was Tom Waits. So we asked Tom if he would do it and he said, yeah, I'll do it. But he goes, only if I can... He said, only if I could sing in Spanish and, if I could, <laughs> and only if I could do it on a four track cassette. And we're like, sure. Man, bring it. We, you know, we were big fans of uh, cassette multi-track as well. So unfortunately we didn't have the model that he had. So I remember I had to go find one because even in whatever year that was, 19 or 2000, it was still hard to find that stuff. His idea of singing Spanish was just saying the word quítate, quítate, quítate. So I, I had that, 
And I uh, and then, then uh, one day and then we got we invited uh, Ruben Blades to do it when he agreed, which was great. And he doesn't drive; he's like a New Yorker. So I had to go to his house and pick him up. So he was like, "Well, you know, who tell me who else is you know like play me some stuff? Like let me fill me in." So I played up the Elvis Costello song and a couple other ones, and then I played him. He's friends with Tom; they've done movies together. So I played up that track, and he just thought it was the funniest thing. He goes, "Play it again!" That was so funny. He, just, he was just laughing his head off, like, "Man, Tom!" It was just so funny he actually quoted on the fade of of the song that he sang he he says hey man keep the day keep the day like, <laughs> oh man but, like that song it doesn't really sound out of place because also considering that louis and david had gone and done the latin playboys which almost right. sounded like their tribute to the sort of feel that tom was going for yeah we were all sort of plowing in that same relative field more or less back then so it was part of that part of that moment i guess you could say for sure any plans on doing a 50th anniversary uh well, we're gonna have to do something i don't know what i mean we've been talking about it i know we're gonna do a, a, a finally gonna do a documentary like a proper with a director and mm. kind of tell the story and we're, we're gonna do something but in terms of the music i have no idea you know like we i don't think we could make the ride part two yeah, so I'm, you know, we'll think of something, uh, but uh, time's running out. I mean, you know, it's what two years away now, so we get we got to get on it. Another band that you had an association with a long time ago, Flesh Eaters, have uh, released a great album a couple of years ago. I used to be pretty. How is it back to be playing in that lineup of this super group again? I know you. I've seen you before. I didn't need to tell you my life story. Your transparent motives for me with desire. It was so much fun. I can't even begin to tell you. It was, I mean, it's really unusual music, needless to say, for anybody that hasn't heard it. It's nothing like any of the bands that are part of it. So it's John Doe and Don Bowmick from X, Bill Bateman and Dave Alvin of the Blasters, myself. And a singer calls himself Chris D. He's made a couple of Flesh Eaters records. There's also he's got a band called The Divine Horseman that I was also part of initially. That just literally just put out a new record. I'm not on that one though. Just a really interesting guy. He's involved in the film industry. He he curates an archive of Japanese horror movies. Just really hard for me to watch. You know, and um, just like incredibly violent Japanese movies. But he lives in a really bizarre world. Like he's a poet of some note, uh, an author of some note. He was one of the original. When uh, Slash Records started, Chris was the first A&R guy at Slash. And he produced first Gun Club record. I think he was involved in the first Germs record, if I'm not mistaken. So he's just, you know, got a really interesting CV, to say the least. And now every 15 years, we get together and make a record, which is kind of crazy. But I was on the first one before I was in either the Blasters or Los Lobos. I was just a guy in L.A. that got along with all those guys. So that was sort of like the first time. I got to be among, you know, for me, at least LA rock royalty, which was, you know, really, really big deal. Mm. But getting together now, you know, the people that we are now, like we're, we're all like brothers and literally like brothers. And so it's really, really special and powerful. And I, I wish we could do it more often, but it's, it's really, really hard to coordinate all It's three different band schedules and Chris's schedule. And it generally has to be, you know, like we, we made the record, so we toured around the record. So, you know, I imagine the next time we'll do it, hopefully there'll be another record. But, you know, if he called me tonight and said, you know, let's do it again, like I'm sure every, you know, within reason, all of us would drop whatever we're doing and go do it because it's so much fun. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I listened to this. I used to be pretty and it sounds just as fresh. Yeah. It's timeless music that has no no expiration date whatsoever. It's really that all those songs, it's like X. I mean, you listen to X now, it sounds like those songs were written yesterday as well. They're, they're, they're absolutely timeless. They put out an album over lockdown, which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's great, isn't it? I just co-produced uh, John Doe's next solo record, which is oh, wow. also great. That, I guess that segues quite well into something else I wanted to ask about, because like, as well as being saxophonist for Los Lobos and session man around you know, for many years but you've also been a producer for many years and i think you came here to australia and produced a couple of sessions here back in the 80s the huxton creepers the huxton creepers yep and a band that i've just gone and discovered which i just found wow these guys are terrific and then i was super excited to find that you produced them was um, a band called southern avenue and oh, yeah. they have a new album called be the love you want tell me a little bit about them right up You're gonna find your way 
just a great band. We had done a couple of tours with them, and then we were on this bizarre cruise back in 2019, I guess, early 2019. So we became friends first, and I just said, you know, whenever you guys are thinking about making another record, you know, certainly if you're looking for a producer, I'm my hands in the air. They got signed to a label called Renew, and I had just finished a record, like the first record for that label, their brand new label. Their first record was a guy named, who calls himself the Suitcase Junket. I highly recommend it. He's unbelievable. So I just done that record for them. So then they signed Southern Avenue, and they were like, you know, what about Steve? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But please, you know, get them. So it was interesting because, you know, like I, I have been doing a lot of work through COVID from home, like remote recording, remote producing. But that was one that I did not think I could do remotely. There were too many moving parts. There was a lot of hands-on song arrangement. So I flew to Memphis last when last August, which was a little, you know, I mean, flying then was still pretty scary. Mm-hmm. I was scared. But it turned it was uh, it turned out to be great. We got the band is really all about Memphis. They are you know the young ambassadors for the city, and it's a city definitely on its way up. You know they went through some hard times, but it's it's a really exciting place to be. And there there are like three amazing recording studios in the city now. Like really like in addition to the old places, like the one that we recorded at, which is like a new old studio. It's literally state of the art, nineteen seventy three, built new which is kind of cool. And then a couple more. It was great to be in that city. It was great. I think it was integral to the sound of the record and to the approach. So I'm really glad that I I did it there. And I just think they're great. The band is led by two sisters, one on drums, one that sings, and an Israeli guitar player who has integrated himself into the Memphis music scene in a really, really cool way. And, uh, you know, great songs, great uh, singers, great playing. It was just a ball to do. Fantastic. Uh, I definitely want to urge any listeners out there to search out this album, Be The Love You Want by Southern Avenue. Just really some some gritty Memphis soul. Just really, really love this. So, Lobos, you're now back to touring. I looked on the site. looks like that you're playing New Jersey tonight. Um, So, look, it seems like an obvious question, but how does it feel to be back on the road? Does it feel normal like it was before or was this trepidation at all? Yeah, it's tripping. I mean, it's wonderful to be playing music again. Let's, I mean, this is what we do. It's what we've always done. On a good night, it really is as soul cleansing as could be, but it is different. I mean, obviously, we have to, you know, we're a little scared. You know, we're not letting anybody backstage. It's not quite as festive as it was pre COVID, but it's music live and it's played by us. And it's, you know, we, we bring it as hard as we can every night. So it's um, given the moment that we're in. And I, I don't know what's going on in Australia, but, you know, there's a very depressing and active anti vax, anti science, anti anything useful contingent in this country. Country that's just just you know it's like big business in murdering their their constituents for some some reason so you know that's stuff we got to deal with we were just in the south where like they're just i don't know what the hell's going on in the south they, they just don't believe that the virus exists even though the the hospitals are filled to overflowing so as we travel around you know some places are you know super conscious of it some places we have to talk them into being conscious of it and some places refuse to be conscious and we cancel the show we've had to do it twice now where a venue will say no we're not going to enforce a mask mandate or, or any kind of virus check you know like to show your card and we just say i'm sorry we, we, we're not going to play then so we've canceled two shows that i know of, and there might have been more that were going to happen that didn't happen just because we said that that's the only way we're going to play so i'm really gratified i'm just you know like the, my attitude is every show is a miracle like every show we get to play it's a miracle that it happened it's a miracle that people showed up it's wonderful so i'm just taking it literally a day at a time a show at a time my fingers are crossed i hope that we get through this and get to the other side of it you know just everything looks so hopeful in may um it seemed like you know we were so 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 close to uh to getting somewhere and then sheesh you know these fucking idiots just ruined it for everybody i'll tell you off air about what's been happening over the last couple of weeks here in melbourne it's it's embarrassing it's so wonderful to know that you guys are actually back out there and doing what you do i hope that the world can return to some level of normality and that we'd get you back down here but i'm just grateful for the times that i have been able to see you guys live anyone who's listening to this in the u.s please if you can do so safely go see los lobos one of great live band experiences and if i'm rambling and sounding like a fanboy it's because i am but um Look, thank you so much. I know that, you, as you said, you had the gig tonight and just I'm yeah. grateful that you have, were able to make the time to uh, have a yak for the show. Always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm glad we got to do it. Thanks so much, Steve. All right, All right. we'll be back in a moment. You'll listen to episode 150 of Love It Up. these empty hours. Say you will. 
tomorrow The daughter of a captain on the road seas She would stare across the water from the trees Last time he was home he held her on his knees Said the next time they would sail away where they please Jamaica And once again, my huge thanks to Steve Berlin of Los Lobos, the working musician. He recorded that interview with me a couple of hours before he and Los Lobos were supposed to go on stage in New Jersey. I'm just hugely grateful that he took the time once again to join us here on the program. Just go look at loslobos.org for their touring dates. If you happen to live in the US and you're a fan and you haven't seen them, make sure that you take the time to go out and see them. As Steve Wetton said at the last part of the interview, they're trying to make it completely COVID safe. They're working with promoters and with venues that will make sure that the shows are COVID safe. So go out, get to see some live music. We poor folk here in Melbourne are dying to go out and see some live music again. Hopefully that will happen in the next couple of months. But uh, if you are so fortunate to be able to go see Los Lobos, just go out and do it. All right, so let's talk about next month's show. Now, at the end of the previous month's show, I made the announcement that we're going to be doing an interview with songwriter and musician Serge Fiori from the Quebecois band Ammonium. Now, that didn't happen this time around, as you obviously can tell, but it is going to be happening next month. We just had to replan a few dates and it is now going to happen for October's edition of Love That Album, episode 151, as I said. So very much looking forward to speaking to him. The back catalogue of Ammonium was rearranged for orchestra. The Montreal Symphony Orchestra is playing on this album. The album is a four-record, two-CD set, beautifully put together called Histoire Sans Parole, and it's just a thing of beauty. If you don't know the music of Ammonium, please go give it a listen, then just be prepared to hear some really special music on next month's show. We'll be playing some tunes from their back catalogue as well as the new music as played by the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. Very, very exciting to be having Serge on the program to be talking about this new project and as well as some of the classic Ammonium stuff from the early 1970s. Really, really looking forward to that. So, you know all the details. Joanne gave them earlier on in the show how to contact the program, join the Facebook group, start a music discussion because lots of nice people being very polite, being very respectful of each other, having great conversations about music. That's what it's all about. So until next month, look after each other, be nice to each other, listen to some great music, check out the new Lost Lobos album. Terrific. All right. Until next month, be well. Cheers. Cheers.